Cinnabuds, Cinnabuds, two buddies talking about cinema. Welcome. Hello. I'm Christopher Pollard from Milwaukee Film. From 88.9, I'm Dory Zori. And we are Cinnabuds. And this week on Cinnabuds, we are talking about the newest M. Night Shyamalan film called Knock at the Cabin. My name's Leonard. It's nice to meet you, Will. Why are you here? I suppose I'm here to make friends with you. And your dad's too. But my heart is broken. Why is it broken? Because of what I have to do today. So... Top line about this movie, yeah. which anyone can find out, right? While vacationing, a girl and her parents are taken hostage by some strangers. And the strangers demand some things of the family that the family just isn't ready to do. They're not up for it. They're not up for it. <laughs> they resist a touch. Yeah, it's the newest thriller. It's a, I would say a psychological thriller. It was a little gory. Yeah, it was a little, there was a little blood, but I did find it was interesting how they dealt with some of it. You don't see the... Mm-hmm. Let's say the impact. You see the repercussions. Yes. M. Night Shyamalan, for me, and we'll talk about this in the podcast, has a very interesting journey. I was th- present for most of the time, but I'd love to talk about that. But I want to talk about the film, too, which I went in with very specific expectations. I went in with zero expectations. That's the best way to go in. And the first 15 minutes... I was all in. I was like <laughs> digging my nails into my seat. I was like drinking water because it was making me thirsty. Yeah. <laughs> Can we just talk about the actors for just oh, yeah. a second? Dave Batista as Leonard. Yeah. I freaking love this guy. I liked him in uh, Guardians of the Galaxy for that role, which was perfect for him, you know, and it was very funny. But this is the first time I thought, oh, yeah, you're actually really good at this. Yeah. I liked him in this. Is this an M. Night thing where there's a lot of close-up shots of people's faces? I think so. Because I didn't really think about that until the beginning scene of this movie. And that I think that's what also gives you that psychological thriller part. Because you are like seeing every move that people's faces are making as they're having these initial conversations. Yeah. Laying down the line that something creepy is about to happen. Yeah. There's a lot of great actors in this. There's one in particular I was so excited about. Rupert Grint. I have become a Potterhead. Almost begrudgingly, but now I'm really interested to see what they do. Danny Radcliffe has done so many interesting things, but Rupert Grint, I haven't seen in a ton. And man, I was really impressed with his part in this. So different, and he nails it. Like you forget about Harry Potter when you're watching this, as you should, because it's not super Harry Pottery. Nikki Amuka Bird, who I've seen in some stuff, she's great. There's a whole lot of people. We're going to talk more about everybody in the podcast. And like I said, the Shyamalanian oeuvre. Let's go. Yeah, so stick around. We'll be right back with more. Hey, Radio Milwaukee family. You tune in to us, and now we want to tune in to you. From now until February 17th, we'd love for you to spend a few minutes taking our listener survey. Your responses will let us know what you dig about what we're currently doing and give us feedback on how to make it even better. As an added incentive, all complete responses are entered to win a $150 gift card to Black Shoe Hospitality Restaurant. You can find our survey online at Radio Milwaukee or hyphen.org. And we're back. 
It's true. Yep. Here we are. We're here. We're present. And we're ready to talk about Knock at the Cabin. Oh, well, I saw this at a theater, yeah. obviously. I saw it on a ginormous screen. Yeah. And uh, I was pretty jumpy. Yeah. <laughs> I was pretty jumpy the whole time. I really, really enjoyed the beginning of it. But before we go into this, can we talk about this journey that M. Night takes people yeah, on in their movies? Or this, should we talk about this? No, I think we should talk about this first because it leads us up to this film. And I'll be brief about it. But when The Sixth Sense, his not first movie technically, but his first big movie, that's the one that got everyone's attention. The Sixth Sense was huge. huge. It was one of those movies where everyone's like, don't let anyone tell you about it. You got to go see it. Don't let anyone spoil it. That is absolutely what happened to me. I did not guess what the twist was. Same. And it was great. And then Unbreakable, which was his next movie with Bruce Willis, Mm. is still like one of my favorites of that era, of that decade. It was like before superhero movies became big. This was the most realistic view of what would happen if you discovered you had powers. Dark, again, he had that same style as in the first one. And then you get to Signs where... Now there's this expectation. He's gotten big. Everyone's like, he's the next Spielberg. There's these huge expectations on him always having this twist. Yeah. And science was fine. I think I liked it at the time, Mm -hmm. but I was sort of like, the twist was like, okay, we're expecting it. I feel like it was a curse. I think it's a curse for movie watchers because that's all you expect is what's the twist. And instead of really being in the moment, you're like, how is this going to reveal itself at the end? And can I guess it before it happens? Or maybe that's just the way I am, too. And then when there's not a twist, does it make it not a good movie anymore? And for him, not having a twist would have been... I can, I can totally see a producer going, you got to have a twist. That's your thing, kid. Get out there and twist them up. But then I thought, oh, all his movies are going to do this and it's going to get real old because how mm-hmm. can you make that fresh every time? Right. And that's what happened for me, at least. And so I kind of wrote him off. Mm-hmm. And then he did some like bigger budget ones. I kept saying, why do people keep letting him make movies? Mr. Dory Zori told me that he bankrolls a lot of movies on his own now so he doesn't oh. have to go through necessarily the process of that's not surprising. the Hollywood process so I don't know which ones he has and which ones he hasn't right. and if those are the ones that are a little bit better or not as good yeah well old came out like a couple of years ago which I watched and thought this is interesting and then I hated the ending which again was the thing I'd always mostly I'd always had a problem with mm-hmm. now we're here at this one I go in and I realize oh I've shot myself in the foot by choosing this because I usually don't like his movies, but I surprisingly really, really enjoyed this one. Tell me what kept your interest, because I think the concept is great. It's based off a book. Yeah. And I think the screenplay was written and got on a blacklist, the award, the black. Oh, yeah, 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 that's right. But I feel like too many people had their hands in writing the screenplay because what was a really great concept, I feel like, just never really came... Like, there could have been more. Yeah. There could have been a better... Like, they did flashbacks with backstories. I wanted more from yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. I'm a firm believer in the book is not the movie, the movie's not the book. Mm-hmm. It's a really f- helpful and healthy way to watch and read yes. because you don't have to, like... You're not reliant on one or the other. But it is very different from the book, and they had made some bolder choices in the book than they did the movie, which I won't spoil here for anybody, but... So these people come to a cabin. They tell a family that they have to sacrifice one of their family members to save the world. Mm -hmm. And so the bulk of the film is trying to convince this family this is real and not a bunch of crackpots coming in and just 
you know, from a cult or whatever. Well, and it really kind of starts taking off right away. Like you get to know who these four strangers are that come in with these handmade weapons that are so intimidating. But once they start talking about why they're there, they don't seem like deranged lunatics. They seem like real people having some sort of crisis. Yeah, put into an absurd scenario. Yeah. So I think for me, what made this healthier to, to watch <laughs> was that I was not expecting a traditional twist that he had always had in his mm-hmm. other movies. Like the gist of the twist, if there is one is, is it a real thing that's happening or are they all crazy or are they in a, in a cult or something? But it's a pretty evident line. It's going to be one or the other. Oh, you know, it could have been a third thing too. But the fact that it was just like, that wasn't the whole point of it. Right. Kind of took some of that pressure off from what I didn't like about some of his mid-range movies. I like that. Well, and the third option, they kind of introduced briefly with Rupert Grint's character. Yeah. But they didn't really take it that far, and it just kind of was left dangling out there. So, I mean, this movie, I wouldn't have wanted it to be three hours long, but- some of these details could have been filled in with maybe some other scenes. I'd be curious to know what made it to the cutting room floor. Can we talk about Kristen Swee? Yes, It was absolutely. her first movie. She was incredible. Yes. I thought the little girl, the youngest yeah. actor on set. And I kept thinking for a first movie, she has this happy family dynamic, but then it, she also is like terrified young girl yeah. in most of the movie and I thought she just did a great job but how do actors even prepare a young new I actor know. for a movie like this in the movie she says her character is like going to be eight mm-hmm. and I guess that she could have been around that age possibly maybe yeah. even younger but she was really good she had really charming like in the very first scene and she meets Dave Batista, she's like cautious but then very sweet and like friendly they're collecting grasshoppers yeah, together that's right adorable <laughs> and you see the flashbacks with her family it's very adorable which when a movie like this when something is very sweet you're like oh i'm bracing for something terrible right. to happen <laughs> i i can't stop thinking about dave batista while we're talking <laughs> i mean so dave batista i first knew from his wrestling right he's this big hulk of a guy and he's got a ton of tattoos but his sweetness of this character yeah was so real and genuine. I think he revealed, this isn't spoiling anything, he was a second grade teacher or something like that. Yeah. But it just was also very believable. And for such a big, looming guy to be approachable yeah. and thoughtful. Empathetic. empathetic. He's incredibly empathetic through the whole thing and quiet. He doesn't let his physical appearance yeah. do the acting for him, really. I think he yells once and he even apologizes Does. for it. That seeing somebody like him do this character and do it really well and very believable. Mm-hmm. I was just very impressed. And then, like I said, Rupert Grint was great. The supporting cast was really impressive. The whole time I kept thinking, oh, wow, all of these people are hitting their notes perfectly. I think because I went in with very low expectations based on my history, I let some of those things that you're saying, I kind of let them go. Mm -hmm. And even maybe even appreciated the simplicity of it. Like if I had had too much of one thing or too much of another, I would have been like triggered to be like, oh, here he goes again. But I feel like because he went in simpler this time, like mostly just focusing on this scenario, they do show a little bit of the background and the the flashbacks and you get to little know the characters in a very economical way. Mm-hmm. I can Ooh, see that's a good way to say yeah, it. Yeah, I was saying that's the nice way of saying it. But then there's some people like you know who may also be like, oh, I, I needed more of that. So I could see that. But I was very surprised about how much I liked the movie. I was like, 
movie making people. This was shot on 35 millimeter and they used lenses from the 90s to give it that old school kind of horror movie look. Did oh, really? You, I didn't know that. Could you tell? I don't think so. Though I'm not one of those people. Like I work with a lot of people who will absolutely notice that. Right. And I don't know that I'm one of those. <laughs> Mr. Dory Zora in the car ride home was like, yeah, it's a good movie if you like people not lit well and shot all blurry. <laughs> like, well, well, that could have been a stylistic I choice. I also think that is a very Shyamalanian thing because mm. I do recall like there's a lot of the deep focus, like if somebody in the background's in focus, then all of a sudden somebody in the foreground, that very dramatic switch. I think he's done that quite a bit. I remember that from because there's a while where his movies, I'm like, oh, you can tell they're his because he shoots them a very specific way. There was a reoccurring visual thing that happened throughout the movie that I think fits into the Shyamalanian, yeah. like 12 <laughs> yeah. commandments, the shots of nature and listening. Like there were a lot of close-ups of rustling of grasses and oh, plants yeah. in the beginning. And then there were a lot of shots. I don't know what's called a long shot where you were like looking out the door of the cabin just into like the woods, but yes, like you couldn't yeah. like, were you supposed to see something in there? Right. Was it just the rustling of the calm woods and then the craziness of what was going on inside the cabin? I'm like, why is this happening? Yeah. There was also a pinnacle scene towards the beginning where they're already captives and there's this kind of a shine in the mirror behind one of the people. It's again, something in the background that's happening that happens long enough that as a viewer, I notice it, but then the character in the film sees something in there that I didn't see when I was looking at it. So yeah. it's like, was there something there or, or am I now imagining there was because he said there was, Ooh. so that's really a nice way to do that. Too. I did like that part too, because I saw the shine. I attributed it to him having a severe concussion. Yeah. Yeah. Because they do talk about that, too. Yeah, But that was part of it, too, right? This whole concept of what these four people were sent there to do is like a really a big concept. So the overall arc of the story I thought was fascinating. And, man, I wish we could get into it a little bit more without yeah. spoiling anything. But I love the thought that whatever these people had to go through with the four strangers was something that wasn't the first time that this happened. Yeah. Like, my interpretation was this moment for a bunch of strangers coming together to make difficult decisions has happened throughout history. Right, yeah. And that's what may or may not change the course of really bad things happening, like tsunamis and earthquakes. Yeah. They had a couple moments, including just the general concept, that alluded to our time, which I thought was really nice. Mm -hmm. And not funny, because it's really dark, but it's just an interesting way to connect it to what is happening in the world today. So generally, I would say I, I think I I think I really liked it. I would say I liked it fine. That's acceptable. Um, I didn't <laughs> I didn't dislike it. I'm not hating on it. I didn't absolutely love it. But yeah. the more like, and I only saw it like 24 hours ago, and I keep thinking about it, and not yeah. just because we're doing this podcast. Right. So I think that's always a good sign that. Sometimes I might not think I like a movie, but if it's in my head and I'm still thinking about it and asking myself questions and yeah. thinking about plot lines, that makes it a good movie. Yeah, I think so. So I'm not like 100% back in as a Shyamalan head, mm -hmm. but I still, I did really like it on its own. I think if I just saw this on its own, it would be a great thriller that I really enjoyed. And it, I think boosted by the fact that there was two or three people in here that I thought were just exceptional and kind of was surprised by. Mm -hmm. I did like all the people too. And uh, there was a song that was played in this movie. That was a beautiful <laughs> moment though. The song in the car flashback. Yeah. Yeah. Um, was a, one of my favorite moments of the whole movie. Yeah. It was very cute.
Ooh, what you watching? What else have we been watching? What should we talk about? Do you want to go first or should I go first? Um, I feel like we should talk about the thing we've both been watching. So too. And you start. Uh, we have both been watching separately The Last of Us on HBO. Oh my goodness. If you don't think there's hope for the world, why bother going on? You haven't seen the world. So you don't know. You keep going for family. I'm not family. No. Your cargo. A based off a video game. Yeah. Which is funny because I've never played the video game, but the first couple episodes that we watched, there were moments that looked like a video game, and I appreciated that in a yeah. big way. Yeah. So how did that video game influence your likability of this new series? I love the video game so much. I played that. I played the second one that came out a couple years ago. The cool thing is that this show is so good, and it does pay mad respect to the video game in a seamless way, which is easy to do because the game itself was one of the most cinematic games. Like usually cutscene in a video game, I try to f- skip if I can. Mm-hmm. I just want to play the video game. Yeah. But this has such a good story that you watch it. So I think it was an easy transition to make the show from this game. Watching this show made me want to learn more about funguses <laughs> yeah. and the dangers to humans inherently. I feel like I knew about the actual, like there's a fungus that this movie is based on that takes over the brains of like snails and ants, right? Like this is a real thing, but isn't currently transferable to humans. But as the last couple of years have told us, anything (laughs) can happen. Yeah, you never know. I know scientists and biologists are shaking their head at me right now, but (laughs) so that's fascinating. The, the makeup on the characters of the clickers. Yeah. Yeah. Is so incredibly cool. You got your clickers, you got your runners, you got your bloaters. They just recently introduced a couple of them, but with the uh, clickers are the ones with the full on. They have the big old heads. mushroom heads. Yeah, yeah, and then the ones that don't have much, uh-huh. I think, are the runners. Okay, because they're fast. They, uh, and then the bloaters. Is that the one we got to see in the last? Yeah, episode? Yeah, there's also one called the bloaters. Terrifying. Very terrifying. And then seeing that and a bunch of others from the game being so accurate to the game, like, oh yeah, that's exactly what they look like. That's the same noise that they had in the game. The music that was composed for the game is the same as in the film. That's exciting. And it's beautiful and really well done. And there's been moments in the show where I'm like, oh, I did that. Like I had to do the thing they're doing in the show as a part of the game. Does that give you a sense of ownership? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Because I keep pointing to my wife. I keep going, yeah, I did that. I had to climb up that building to get in that building. And then you had to get that to get them. But it doesn't take away from the beautiful. It's actually a beautiful story. And there's a lot of great characters that come in and out. They've done an exceptional job. Everybody can't stop talking about episode three. Right. Was that a part of the game at all? It was. It's a little bit different than in the game. And I played the game so long ago that I don't 100% remember. But I do remember generally that that was a character in the game. But they treated it a bit differently. Perfect. That was such a good episode. It is worth the hype that everyone's talking about. I cried and I was expecting terrifying things to happen the whole time. And the fact that it didn't go there in the way that I thought it was going to made it extra beautiful. Mm -hmm. But just the story in general, man, what a great time to throw in an episode on a show like that to really get everyone to stop and think about relationships and (laughs) love. I know. I was doing my best not to cry because 
Nicole loves to catch me crying. She goes, are you crying? I go, you are. Uh, <laughs> then you whip your tears out. Yeah, her. I was like trying to keep it together. And then I think I said, this is a show about monsters. I'm not supposed to cry. <laughs> they tricked me. Can't fight it. I cry the drop of a hat. All right. So the question we want to ask our listeners that yeah, made it to the them. end here. Let's talk about music. Do you have a song with a really specific memory? Yeah, really specific memory oh, that brings you joy. Yeah. And it's very tender, but yet fun. Please go to our Instagram at, at Cinebuds Podcast. There's a lot of fun, interactive stuff on there. We just had a really fun one this weekend where we asked people what movie have they cried the <laughs> hardest at. Turns out a lot of kids' movies were listed there. Jay Caution, 1117. Said Homeward Bound. Oh. Sid.m92 said Coco. And then we also have Up from Katie Gonring, 88. But then we had some classics like uh, Kramer versus Kramer, Terms of Endearment. Katie Gonring said that one as well. And Oh, Blue Bayou, uh, Don Borchardt. Oh. Love you, Don. Uh, she said Blue Bayou. And that movie, if you just watch the trailer of that, it will make you cry buckets. I don't think I saw that one. Danielle said A Little Princess, the 1995 version. And also nice for Sam King, who wrote Pig, The Last 20 Minutes of Pig, which is a movie we talked about a couple years ago. 100% agree. My top one has always been Broken Circle Breakdown, but A Couple Who Lose a Kid. And the clever thing about that is it's sort of a circular storytelling. So it's not like you hit the part where they lose the kid and deal with it. And then you move on. They keep going back because of the way they tell the story to these horrible moments. So you just never stop crying. <laughs> you can't just stop crying in this movie. Sometimes I'll cry at something when someone is doing something exceptional in their field. I do the same. Like that is emotion that is a different kind of crying. It's not yeah, sad crying, yeah. but it's just like. I'm watching someone who is an expert at singing or dancing or yes. whatever in a movie, and now I'm bawling because I'm so overwhelmed <laughs> by people's talents. That's so weird because I do the same thing. Oh. <laughs> but uh, thank you guys for listening. We'll be back next week. And we would like you to know that Kiri Salinas, the wonderful Kiri Salinas, produces our show. She's so dope. Thank you to Brett Newski for that lovely classic theme song. Yeah, absolutely. And we could not do this without the support of our members, both from Radio Milwaukee and from Milwaukee Film. Thank you all so very much. Go see a movie. Yes, go see a movie. See you soon. Bye. <laughs>